You're listening to Bow Down to Us, the comics edition, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. And here's your host, Vince. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to issue number two of the Bow Down to Us Comics podcast. We're coming to you today on Wednesday, August the 4th, yet another fine comic book day. And joining me today is once again my faithful sidekick, the Bucky to my Captain America, Roger. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing pretty good, actually. All right. Well, we're just going to dive straight in. We had some fun little news last week, the first of which was that Marvel has started releasing comics on their iPad app for free. Last week, they released Hawkeye and Mockingbird number one, as well as Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine number one, which is actually pretty cool because those are fairly new. Uh, Hawkeye and Mockingbird, I think, came out a month ago. And same with Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine. So they're really trying to grasp this new audience they're finding on the iPad, just like you. Did you have a chance to pick them up? Yes, I did. And actually, those aren't the first ones that they've done for free either. They had some when the app first came out. There was a few that were free. Um, they weren't necessarily very good ones but they were they, they they did have some for free um and and i think it's important for them to put out some free ones like this as well just because it's i i haven't hidden the fact that i'm not crazy about the price point uh, for me two dollars for a digital copy is asking too much and as beautiful as it is and as much as i actually i oh man i hate to say it because i, I have like a huge actual library and and i love the feel of a book in my hands i actually prefer reading the comic books on the ipad than the <laughs> actual copies i i mean i'm not worried about crinkling the paper spilling stuff all over well i'm, I'm afraid of spilling stuff on the ipad <laughs> but I, it's actually i find a, a better medium to be reading the comic books on but the thing with the again having the actual physical comic book is that there is that concept that it may someday be worth something kind of thing Whereas with a digital copy, it's worthless. It's literally worthless. It, it, you can add it to your digital copy, but digital things are, in essence, worthless. It, they're not gaining value. And I think that what they need to do is they need to be doing more of these freebies like this so that they can entice people over that, despite the price point, look at what you're getting. In case in point, like you're talking about the ones that just came out, I, I, I wasn't crazy about the Hawkman one. I, I kind of read through it quickly and I didn't even finish it. I, I really, or Hawkeye, I should say, and Mockingbird. But the um, Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine was awesome. That was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, the Marvel's trying out a new uh, almost brand with their Astonishing titles where they want to get the best quality writers and artists they can find, put them on a story that's accessible to just about anyone because honestly – even if you don't really read comics, you at least know who the heck Spider-Man and Wolverine are to, again, try and find this new audience that they're starting to grow into. And you you hit it, the nail right on the head when you're saying that the their first release of the free comics was pretty awful. So we're getting some really high quality titles. They just announced today that they had released some more for free, including the Avengers Disassembled arc, which, depending on who you are, was either bad or really bad, but it's still a very important story arc and one that's going to draw in some readers 
that, hey, okay, I liked this arc, and they can start exploring larger parts of the library. Maybe read more Avengers titles, maybe read more titles by Brian Michael Bendis. So it's great that they are finding this new audience and really reaching out to them instead of just sitting back and going, yeah, we're here. We'll come see, come see us if you want to. But yeah, I, I did not read Hawkeye and Mockingbird at all. It, Hawkeye is one of those characters that I just prefer on a team. But yeah, Astonishing Spider-Man and Wolverine was just so much fun. I, I actually have to go back out and get issue number two because uh, I wasn't really expecting it to be this good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the most of it is all narrative. And yet they did a good enough job getting into the heads of each of the characters, keeping them as unique as they are, and also that history between them that everybody knows, and it comes through quite clearly, and the artwork was absolutely phenomenal as well. It really was, and you're getting it for free. So yeah, anybody with an iPad, and I, I'm assuming this is out for the um, as a freebie on the iPhone as well, right? Did you check? I did not check, um, but I think it might even be on the uh, Marvel Digital subscription. They've been releasing a lot of free stuff on there lately, too. Yeah, definitely worth reading. All right. Well, moving on, we also had a Batman movie this week. It's an animated one subtitled Under the Red Hood. And as much as I tried to watch this, I haven't been able to get to it yet. The stupid blockbuster machine doesn't have it, and I'm not really that excited about spending 14 bucks on a dvd right now so uh you did get a chance to watch it roger what'd you think i thought it was phenomenal now let me be very clear from the get-go as well that i was very disappointed that we didn't have kevin conroy and mark hamill as the voices of batman and joker respectively um that being said the voices that did do batman and the joker we've got bruce greenwood fellow canadian way to go buddy and uh who did batman and we got john DiMaggio, who did the Joker. I found that the Joker voice took a little bit more getting used to because he, he starts off in his first scene quite calm. But once he starts getting a little frantic, you've got that Mark Hamill-esque kind of, of, of evil laughter. And he pulls it off very well. And, and later on, once you start seeing more of him, then he really actually fits the character very well and I was telling you pre-show there how funny it is that that John DiMaggio is also the guy who does the voice of Bender in Futurama so obviously this guy's got talent (laughs) in being able to go from one end of the spectrum to the other so um just a a story question because I haven't watched it yet who exactly does the Red Hood represent in this movie because the Red Hood is a character that has had several different identities in the comics are we spoiling things because it's it's the whole movie is leads up to that spoiler so i don't know if you want to spoil it or not no if it's that major of a plot point no but yeah there there have been several characters in comic in dc and batman's history who have worn the red hood yes and they make reference to that as well now that all being said i mean the the foreshadowing here is pretty apparent. I mean, <laughs> you're you're not re- reading a lot between the lines here if you're not figuring it out on your own. That being said, I mean, I don't want to go too much into it just because that is the entire plot of of the novel uh, of the movie and 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 they do a very good job of that too. It's I mean, if you're looking at it and you put it only in a couple of lines what the movie represents, it, it's it's quite easy just to put in a couple of lines, but they stretched out 
in that hour and 15 minutes really, really well. They throw in a lot of other stuff. And then we've got Nightwing, who is in there. And of course, of course, that's voiced by Neil Patrick Harris. And I have to say, he absolutely steals every single scene he's in. If they can keep him as a regular of the voice of Nightwing and keep Nightwing coming back in future um, movies as well, that would be unbelievable. It, it was the literally the highlight of the movie was Neil Patrick Harris voicing Nightwing. It was just phenomenal. Uh, so it's great to see that the animated movies are starting to mirror where the print is going because Nightwing has been becoming an increasingly important character in DC, even to the point where now Dick Grayson is actually Batman and may even continue to be Batman after Bruce Wayne comes back. Yeah, no, I would love to see. I In, in fact, again, just I don't want to harp on it too long because we actually have comics to talk about. But if they brought out just a plain Nightwing um, feature movie, I would rent it in a moment. And probably if they got him to do it and would even buy it once it came out because he was that. And I mean, I love Neil Patrick Harris. I don't I've never seen him in something that I didn't like his performance in it. And he pulls this character off beautifully. So the more we can see of that, that uh, I will be very, very happy. All right. Well, let's actually get into the discussion of the comics that we saw come out last week. We've got four of them lined up for you this week. And keeping in the DC trend, the first one I'd like to talk about is Wonder Woman number 601. We saw last month the Wonder Woman 600, which ended the previous run and started the new run by J. Michael Straczynski, a very influential comic book writer. And for those of you who don't know, the creator of Babylon 5, as well as many other very fun geek things. Look him up on Wikipedia. He's done a lot of great work. So I was very excited to see him coming to DC and taking on these iconic characters. I'm one of the few people that actually liked what he did on Spider-Man. I loved his work on Thor. So him picking up Superman and Wonder Woman was a big, big draw for me. And of course, once his small little story at the end of Wonder Woman 600 came out, everybody blew up because DC had the to change Wonder Woman's costume. This costume that she's been wearing since, I don't know, my mother was <laughs> before she was born. She's been wearing this costume for as long as just about anybody can remember and completely changing her status quo as well. At the end of 600, we saw her get sucked into this alternate timeline is what it looks like, possibly guided there by the gods or what have you. It's still a big mystery to be revealed. But 601 is the first full issue we get of J. Michael Straczynski's work. And it kind of works from my point of view. I can definitely tell that there's a larger story here that they want to tell. I actually really liked the backstory. The scenes with Hippolyta and the other Amazons I felt were pulled off very well. It had a great sense of drama to it. My main issue with it was, with this being the first full issue of the arc, we needed more Wonder Woman in this issue. The backstory can wait another two or three issues. I want to know more about this version of Wonder Woman, where she fits into this new timeline. And we did not get enough of that. And while, like I said, the backstory was great, there really isn't enough there to draw a reader back for a second issue. Like, oh, okay, she... You know, she's doing some stuff. You don't really care about Wonder Woman and the story was my main issue with it. Not one bit. No, I completely agree. I uh, We were talking about it just briefly before after I'd read the issue and I was disappointed. Now, that being said, I've never been a huge Wonder Woman fan, even back in the day when I was reading them. Um, 
not because of any sexist reasons, but just because I never found the stories quite engaging enough. I, I liked her as a character within the Justice League because she offered this very, very different dynamic that they didn't have. So in that role, I thought she fit very well. But as a solo act, I just never felt that there was enough there. And then when I read this, there were certain aspects of it, certainly, that I did enjoy. But like you were saying, there there was really... It, 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 and maybe it's because, again, you have to hit the ground running here. And because there's a lot of backstory that, you know, you would have gotten your what you need to know about her beforehand. But there was just not enough about not enough drama about what she's going through right now and far too much of the 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 intriguing plot that they were trying to create which i really didn't think was it it certainly didn't hook me in enough that i cared about those characters and then that one character that she's speaking to under the bridge as well was far too flippant and things like that and it was like it's hard to get drawn into a story and feel emotionally invested if the characters themselves don't appear to be. Yeah, I still have high hopes for this run and I really want it to succeed just because, again, I'm a big fan of Straczynski's work and I'd hate to see something he does flops as epically as this can shape up to be because Wonder Woman is a very iconic character and they're doing a lot of big changes to her at once. But yeah, there's nothing really here to bring a reader back for a second issue. Before we move on, just quickly, since we haven't had the chance to discuss it yet, what do you think of the new costume? You know, it's funny because even before we discussed doing this podcast, I I had read about it and then I'd gone on the official DC post when they announced it. And I actually read through some of the masses of replies <laughs> that people had about this. People wigging out. This is such a huge deal. And I'm thinking, you're kidding, right? I think that changing a costume is important. I, I'm all for staying true to a character in terms of who that character is. There's certain aspects of all of these characters that that can't change because that's who they are you're not going to make a happy batman and if you did you failed but you can give them a different outfit and different something because i think that's important that people are changing enough that at least their outfits can change for crisis i mean really let's be honest some of these outfits that we're seeing i i'm going to be writing a feature about that one time because i've been taking snapshots screenshots of different comics that i'm reading where the costumes that they're putting these women in now i understand that most of these comics are being read by young males, so they're trying to make it as titillating as possible. And no pun intended. However, some of these are absolutely ridiculous. So they're putting more clothing on her? Give me a break. Now, that being said, it is really an 80s throwback kind of thing. 80s, 90s throwback with the, the outfit. I think it could have been designed maybe a little bit better, but I actually think it's a damn sight better than the original. Yeah, it, it, it's definitely time for a change. She's been wearing that same exact look forever. And yeah, you, you, you're you absolutely right. It is pure mid 90s there. It was designed by Jim Lee, who is most famous for his work in the 90s. And it looks like he just picked up an old picture he had of Nate Gray or somebody drew, drew some more curves on it and said, hey, it's Wonder Woman. There you go. Like I like the concept and with, with probably with the exception of the jacket, I probably like the overall look. I could really do without the jacket, though. But let's 
No. Yeah. You have something to say? <laughs> no, no, no. That's pretty yeah, much I don't, it. I don't want to spend too much time talking about fashion. <laughs> actually, before you go on to the next one, though, just to let you know, I actually, while we were talking there, I downloaded the Marvel app for the iPhone and I checked. And those two freebies are actually being charged on your iPhone. Mm. It's coming through as a buck ninety nine, whereas it was free on the iPad, just so that everybody knows. Oh, there we go. That, that, that's good to know. So the two titles that I was really looking forward to this week because I've been a lifelong X-Men fan was we had Uncanny X-Men 526 and X-Men Legacy 238. We had the whole big second coming thing going on over the early summer and we are starting to see the launch of the new status quo for the X-Men. We saw it a while back with X-Men number one with their Curse of the Mutants. And last week, uh, actually last couple weeks, we saw a return to form for the New Mutants and X-Factor, both issues that I really enjoyed, by the way. But here we get into the core titles of the X-Men franchise, the ones where all the story is supposed to happen. We're going to start off with Uncanny X-Men 526. That was nothing short of disappointing. I was really hoping for so much more from this issue. It's just an, a problem of they have way too much going on right now. The issue kept jumping around from character to character to character. There's so much going on. It's really hard to keep track of and tell a cohesive story. Made even worse by the fact that the story they did tell wasn't terribly great. We saw a lot of hope tra tracking down her family up in Alaska, which nobody particularly cares about that could have been handled in probably one page or happened off screen. But I guess they felt it was important to her character development. I could have gone without four pages of her sitting down drinking tea with grandma myself. This is the X-Men. We, we like our character development, but we also need to see, you know, some mutants doing some cool stuff. And especially when we get to the end where they find one of the new mutants, the five lights, as they call them, the five new mutants who have been found since Hope came back to Earth, which is a huge deal because mutants have been dying out. They're, they haven't been being born. So Hope comes back. We see all these new mutants popping up, and it's going to be a big plot point for the future. And I just didn't like the writing with this new character. She was all depressed, all sad about how her life was ending. Her hair was falling out. She couldn't handle it anymore. And then as soon as she gets her powers, she's all happy and bubbly. And it was just a bizarre character turn that just jumped out at me like that. That's not right. You know, you, you need at least need a couple more beats in there to go from suicidally depressed to, yeah, let's go. I can't wait for this. I yeah, I really wasn't impressed with this at all, at all. And, and just like you, I am actually a, a huge, huge X-Men fan back from, and that's back from the day. I mean, back when I was young and I was collecting comic books, the series that I collected was the X-Men and I had tons of them to the point where I would actually save up. And this is when I was young, like not even a teenager yet. I would save just to be able to buy the back issues that were worth a lot more just to have that in my collection because I prized them so much. I, I the, the writing was phenomenal. The fact that you were looking at a whole bunch of stories and concepts and everything which mirrored a lot of the things that were going in on in the world be it prejudice prejudice or, or different things like that so it, it's something that i always felt strongly about but then when you're getting to this kind of stuff which is i'm, I'm maybe it's because i'm having a really hard time with this whole hope story arc because i'm really not digging it i know they're trying hard this is their war of light but i'm really not digging it at all well, I wouldn't put it quite into War of Light territory because War of Light was a huge deal with the Green Lantern, probably the biggest thing they've ever done. This is pretty much standard for the X-Men. Once every five or six years, they have this big event that 
mixes everything up and then they just hit the ground running after that, which was the problem. They didn't really hit the ground running in this issue. This needed to be the first issue of the new relaunch, even though it might not be the first published. Uncanny X-Men is still the core title. It needs to be the one that drives the pace and the flow of all the other titles. And it just didn't work. Well, but it wasn't I, just that. It was, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off. No, it was no, just, no. It, the dialogue wasn't even well written. I mean, if you read some of the dialogue, it was just really crappy dialogue. Let's not just talk about the, the settings, which were terrible and stupid. And, and the, like you said, spending all that time with grandma. Um, I mean, just the dialogue alone, I thought was absolutely terrible. And then they're little trying to make their little humorous narrative things when they're saying who people are. Was, it didn't work. It just you're 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 making light of your own characters that are supposed to be important. You know, I I really I could not get into it. Well, that's something that they've been doing in Uncanny for the last couple of years now. And honestly, for the most part, those little character blurbs have been entertaining. But I I love Matt Fraction as a writer. I loved his work on Immortal Iron Fist. I'm really pumped for what he has coming up on Thor. And even everything up until Second Coming, his work on Uncanny X-Men has been pretty good. Just something something has gone wrong. I don't know. Maybe he's kind of overstepped his his capabilities with this whole Second Coming thing. Since he's not only writing Uncanny X-Men, he's pretty much in charge of the entire X-Men franchise right now. He's not the editor, but he's essentially the head writer for it. And he's the one giving the others their 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 plot points to work off of. So I don't know, maybe Second Coming just over-exhausted him and he, he kind of phoned this one in maybe. Yeah, no, this is terrible. Like I've got it in my hands right now and I'm looking at it. And like that whole scene, like, okay, let's just assume that the whole scene up until she jumps off the roof. Sorry, spoiler warning there, people. Um, let's just assume that, you know, you're still reading at that point. And, and and that it's believable up until that point. The, the moment that she takes flight and it's supposed to be this, oh my God, kind of thing, and she gets back to the roof, the whole dialogue from that point on, the moment she touches on the roof, it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. It's not right. It's not, you know, it's not true to to the characters and it's absolutely I just keep thinking people wouldn't talk that way after something like this had happened you know what I mean it, it yeah it really really didn't work yeah it was it, like I said it was a huge shift that just didn't hit but what I did really like though was they had this backup feature focusing on Magneto and tying into the Children's Crusade event they have going on over in the Avengers line of titles. And I, I actually really like this one. I like what they've been doing, trying to bring Magneto back into the 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 X-Men fold and how he's trying to prove himself. But of course, he's still Magneto. Wolverine hits the point on the head. At some point, he's going to turn just because he's him. And we don't, as the readers, we don't know, is he truly sincere this time? Or is he really going to turn on everyone? And see... I, 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 I liked that little feature at the end. See, I I actually didn't, and and the reason I didn't is because I've pretty much had it with this this concept of the ultimate evil pretending to be good, and you know in your back in the back of your head that it's not going to take long that there's going to be a point where they do turn on you. That's just how it's always been. So, and part of the problem is that you know writer A is going to take over the series and write for how many ever issues make him good and then writer b comes in later on and decides now nah, we need a new plot twist boom suddenly he's bad whereas you as the reader having followed it you know that eventually he's going to turn it doesn't matter who takes over the series 
he's going to turn because it has to stay true to again going back to that staying true to the character and that's what's going to happen here so really I, I kept reading this and thinking no i I, I, I can't buy it. And again, I wasn't crazy about the narrative either between like Wolverine and, and Magneto. It was like, A, it was too long. Um, like really Wolverine is not that chatty. So they've got <laughs> way, way too much <laughs> chatter there. And you're thinking, no, nah, he, 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 and he's not a, a, a man of many words. It's of actions. So I, I honestly, this whole issue, really not crazy about it. All right, can, well. can we talk about the good one? Oh, we can absolutely talk about the good one. We had X-Men Legacy 238, which has gotten back to its form after Second Coming, uh, focusing on Rogue, a character who over the decades I haven't liked at all until she came into this title. When she took over as the focus of X-Men Legacy, the book itself got phenomenally better, and I actually started liking her for the first time ever where she's been mentoring some of the younger students, which is great because the younger students have had their various titles over the years that haven't done terribly well. So giving those newer characters a place where they can be seen by the fans is great. And it's just so, so good. It's very well written. We saw uh, Rogue taking a group of the students, including one Indra, back to his home of India to go visit his family because his brother is sick. Magneto tags along for his own reasons, which will focus big into the plot. I don't want to give too much away on this one because you really do have to read this one. But it was very, very good. I know you love this one, so I'm going to let you run with it. Oh, it was fantastic. Now, before we even get into the actual story here, um, the art in this issue was phenomenal. I I love the art style here, the the attention to detail. I like the new take on the, the characters and how they looked. Um, I mean, in terms of like what I've seen here, I haven't seen all the prior issues to see if it's been the same, but uh, I, I love the art style and the attention to detail in the art. I mean, when you're looking at some of this, the stuff like in the palace as well, just the little attention to detail in, in the, the, the paint and the, the, the symbols in the, uh, in the archways and different things like that, it was really bloody good. The story itself, was fantastic. I love how they actually wrote about these cultural family issues that stayed true to form kind of thing with the the one character that that goes back to Mumbai and being told essentially that he's going to be wed to someone. Um, but I, I loved how they stayed true to different things like that. And it wasn't just the... Uh, the whiny ass teenage mentality of, you know, you see that in a lot of these <laughs> mutant <laughs> issues where it's a whiny, bitchy teenager getting their way kind of thing. I mean, we even saw that in Astonishing X-Men, although Wolverine dealt with it pretty well, I thought. Um, but it, I'm, I'm tired of seeing that. So when you're seeing something like this, it was kind of refreshing. The The writing was phenomenal. Um, I, I actually preferred... Um, Magneto in this one, he, he I, I, again, I just thought he was a little better written than in the other ones. But in the, the suspense builds as well, uh, quite well. And uh, no, I everything from dialogue to the actual scenes to the um, to the the plot as well, and keeping you interested to the climax. I definitely a fun read. Yeah, even though we knew what the ending was going to be about five or six pages before it actually happened, we were still excited when it got there, which was but, great. 
because it was going to be how is it how do they all factor into this kind of thing and so to again seeing how they did was was fun yeah and indra the uh focal young mutant in this story is actually a really cool character that that i like because as they've established based on his religion he's a pure pacifist which is very against what the x-men really do and it's actually very interesting because they don't it doesn't come up in this issue so i'm sure you're not aware of it but his mutant power he actually is able to conjure weapons to his side so when you have a pacifist whose only power is to create weapons it's a really cool dynamic for the character himself and it's something that rogue has been trying to help him with in previous issues and it's nice to see these plot points that were brought up before the big world changing event are still being carried forward after it well it was good enough that i am going to be picking up prior episodes to or episodes prior issues to kind of go through them and to see what's been going on so that i can appreciate it more because i it is one now that i'm going to want to keep reading on a regular basis Okay. Well, our last issue that we want to talk about this week is Wolverine Origins number 50, which is actually the final issue of this title, which couldn't have come soon enough. It probably should have ended about 20 issues ago, if you ask me, because it started off very, very fun. Wolverine had finally gotten all of his memories back. He knew everything that had happened to him and who had done it. And he was on this quest for revenge. And it brought him against all these characters from his past, most notably Captain America and the Silver Samurai and a bunch of smaller characters that I didn't even know until I went, who's this guy? And I looked him up on Wikipedia. I'm like, oh, okay, that's pretty cool. It brought in the introduction of his son, Dawkin, his actual biological son, not a clone, not any of the other craziness they come up with over the years, who has become a very focal feature in the Marvel Universe lately. Not really crazy about the character, but okay, it's it, it's an important thing that they established. And it also brought Deadpool back to the core Marvel Universe, which was great, but it just went on way too long. It was and all narrative. Even- yeah, th- this this issue was this issue and the one before it were nothing but narrative, and it it brought us nowhere. It was like, oh, okay, Wolverine has finally come to terms with his past and can move on with his life. Really, <laughs> that was the best ending they could come up with. Yeah, I, it was it was ridiculous. It was, oh, I, oh, mm, I was pissed off. I'm reading this and I'm thinking again. It's it's not staying true to the characters. Really, this whole melodramatic just is not true to the character and i really didn't enjoy it and it was all this dance like i'm looking at one page right now it's don's a freaking narrative i don't think he's got that much going on in the bread in the, in the brain pan let's be honest here <laughs> there it's 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 he's supposed to be more feral and more reactionary to what's going on not that much of thinking and overthinking everything so to see this where it's like oh my god all he's doing is yammering away and yammering and yammering and thinking and then this whole thing of the visions with the past women that he's wronged or whatever and I and the whole train metaphor, it was it was a train wreck. There's your metaphor. It was a train wreck. It was bad. It was just not good. Yeah, it, it's it's an issue I have with the writer Danny Way. It's like he overthinks his plot lines too much. When I first started reading his work back when he relaunched Ghost Rider a few a few years ago, I loved it. That whole run of his on Ghost Rider was tons of fun. I loved the character. I loved his work with the character. He introduced some new twists to the character's psychology, which worked. But you can do that with Ghost Rider. He's at best a B-list character. 
when you take over a character like Wolverine, you really can't tinker with it that much. And even his work now on the Deadpool title, he's trying too hard. You have this character who is known for doing certain things in Wolverine's case, popping his claws, going after some guys. And OK, there's a little redemption on the side and he just way overthinks it. And it, it like I said, this this run should have ended 20 issues ago. It was really good up to a point and then it was pretty good up to a point and then I was like oh I I do not care anymore the whole plot line they had with Romulus this guy that has been overseeing Wolverine's life for a century didn't matter it didn't in the end it didn't even mean anything it's a series that I I could have done without altogether well I haven't read the whole thing I've read a couple of them now and then I wanted to I did want to read this last one for uh, for the the episode and I don't care if I would have read the whole thing. I, I, you can still point to bad writing and piss poor plot. And, I mean, there is no plot. There's nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it all takes place in one setting too. Like there's, it's just yeah, really not good. Yeah, I mean the, the the plot for the series essentially ended in issue forty eight, and you had two entire issues, forty eight pages of epilogue. No. Sorry, not 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 for four bucks an issue. Sorry, buddy. I, I don't want my epilogue to be 48 pages long. And it's again, it, you have to stay true to the character. If it was another character, then maybe that kind of introspective would have worked, but not with this one. I And I understand that there is a certain amount of introspective with the character because he's always wanted to figure out what's gone wrong and blah, blah, blah and all that crap. But I mean, there's 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 a fine line there <laughs> and mm-hmm. and they race past that line. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in comics, every once in a while, a character just has to go away for a while. And I think this is Wolverine's time to just go away. He's everywhere. He's in X-Men. He's in two Avengers teams. He's on X-Force. He's got two of his own titles launching, not to mention two supplemental titles focusing on his son and his cloned daughter. I he, There's. There's not enough of the character to go around. It's time for him to take a step back, let some other characters have some spotlight time. So that way when Wolverine does come back and he's Wolverine, the fans are interested again because nobody as as awesome as Wolverine is and as many great stories as he's had over the years. Enough is enough. Eventually, the fans don't want to read about him anymore. And I think we're reaching that point with this character. And they're saying coming in September, Wolverine number one, Wolverine Road to Hell and Dark Wolverine number one. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a little oversaturated, boys. All right. Well, uh, we're, we're coming close to wrapping up here. That was really all there was worth talking about last week. Last week was uh, a, a bit of a down week in the industry. It's the end of the month. It's when they just push out everything that, you know, they delayed a couple weeks already. (laughs) But we have some very cool issues coming up this week. Today, as a matter of fact, that I would like to at least touch on a bit. We have our brightest day, number seven, the storyline coming out of Blackest Night. I can't really recommend this one as a buy because the series up to this point has been a little disappointing, especially from Jeff Johns, who is a writer I really, really like. It's got great art. It's got a huge story, but that's a problem. The story is almost too huge, like we discussed in Uncanny X-Men. We have one that I definitely recommend, and it's Transformers Ironhide number four. The ongoing new Transformers series has been 
interesting. It's had its fun moments. It's it's Transformers. You can't really put too much behind it. But this Ironhide miniseries has been tons of fun. It's been him back on Cybertron. He's a one, literally a one man army fighting off an endless horde of enemies. And his circuits are sizzling, and he's ready for a battle. We have Amazing Spider-Man six thirty nine. Absolutely one I will be reading as soon as the show is over because it's issue two of One Moment in Time. Way back when they had J. Michael Straczynski still on the title, they did a storyline called One More Day, where Spider-Man did everything he could to give Aunt May one more day to live. Eventually, he had to make a deal with the demon trickster Mephisto, where him and Mary Jane sacrificed their marriage in order to save Aunt May's life. So this one moment in time story arc is flashing back to that marriage and showing what changed in that very pivotal point in these characters' lives to create this whole new universe that Spider-Man has found himself in over the last couple of years. The first issue was great. I've got I've got a review I'm writing for it for the site because it was so cool. They actually spliced in pages for the old Amazing Spider-Man annual 20 some years ago into the issue and with new artwork showing you exactly the tiny little twists that Mephisto changed. He didn't do this big world shattering changes. He just made little twists here and there that ended up with a completely different ending. It was a ton of fun. We have Avengers Prime number two. It's kind of the in-between story between Siege and the recent Avengers relaunch, telling us how Thor, Steve Rogers and Iron Man all became friends again because they really weren't liking each other last time we saw them. Uh, kind of, kind of interesting. Maybe a pickup if you really like the characters. Captain America 608 is an absolute buy for me. I love Ed Brubaker's writing as we discussed last week. He once again won Writer of the Year last year. And this one's cool. It's got Baron Zemo, a longtime Captain America enemy, fighting the new Captain America. And he just found out who the new Captain America is in Bucky Barnes, which is hilarious because... Baron Zemo's father thought he had killed Bucky Barnes and it's leading up to some really cool storylines in the future when the entire public finds out that a former assassin is now Captain America and it's writing I'm really looking forward to. I love Brubaker. We have Doom War number six, which series started off great, got a little iffy in the middle, but I think this 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 in the end is going to be a big event changing what's going on in the Marvel Universe. And speaking of big events, we also have Shadowland number two. I I liked where Shadowland number one was going. I could have done with some better uh, story beats, but I'm at least going to pick up Shadowland number two. The event as a whole might be a bit too much because we're already seeing our first spinoff series and the bullseye one shot this week. I think there's something like 26 books total in this entire story arc. Definitely one that overall I would recommend waiting for the collections to come out, but I'm at least still at to this point interested in the core series and this is one i am recommending for you roger new mutants forever number one. Oh yeah i saw that dude i'm getting that for sure what, for sure <laughs> what marvel has been doing with their forever titles in the x-men universe is they've been giving writers uh chris claremont for the x-men forever and uh i think it was gail simone for x-factor forever saying hey this is where you left off when you stopped writing this book Tell the story you wanted to tell before you left. And X-Men has been pure insanity of Claremont just wreaking havoc across the Marvel Universe now that he has freedom to do whatever he wants. And X-Factor was actually really, really good. 
seeing what the original creator of some of these concepts, the original creator of Apocalypse had in mind for the future arc of that character. And here we get again, we have Chris Claremont picking up on New Mutants where he left off. He stopped writing New Mutants because he had the Wolverine title coming out. He just couldn't write that many books in one month. But it's going to be really cool to see the plans he had in mind for these characters that I know you loved, Roger, and seeing where he wanted to take them. Yeah, way back in the day, I literally remember buying the very first New Mutant when they first, first came out. And uh, that that's about all for today. We won't be talking about all of those next week. So uh, we're going to wrap it up here. That's it for issue number two of the Bow Down to Us Comics podcast. We look forward to seeing you again next comic book day for issue number three. Holy <laughs> is that your clock? You're hearing it? Yeah, wow. <laughs> sometimes it picks up real good, sometimes wow. it doesn't. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, let, me, let me pull the battery no, no, out. It's not a, no, no, it's not a big deal. <laughs> I just thought it was funny that I could hear it. When we're talking, you can't hear it, so it's not a big deal. But That's hilarious. Oh, yeah, it's just a little clock on a little tick, tick, tick. And yeah, you're right. It shows up clear as day on this mic. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to issue number two of the Bow Down to Us Comics podcast. We're coming to you today on Wednesday, August the 4th. Yet another fine comic book day. (laughs) Man, you didn't make it far. At least I had maybe a dozen before I really started screwing up. Number two. Wow. (laughs) (sighs) Ah. All right, I'm going to pick up after comic book day. (laughs) You know, the ticking is that much louder (laughs) in these moments. (laughs) I have to recenter myself, pick up my straight of thought. Because, of course, I try to go, oh, let's let I don't need the script this week. At least wanted to, like, I had the intro scripted last week. I was like, I'm going to nail the intro, no problem.